Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series in 1 Corinthians, Christ Culture Church. We're excited to share another episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Well, good morning. All right, it is good to be here this morning. You know, before we get into the text today, there's just two quick things that I want to talk about for a second, and that is next week. We're having a Sunday simply called Love Life Sunday. That is, I'm having some friends from a ministry come and share their ministry with us. I'm preaching um, about life and why we love it. And um, this is essentially about abortion. And I know some of people are like, why are we doing this as church? (laughs) I get it. What this is, is a ministry that prioritizes people over politics, It's a ministry that prioritizes women who want to make the choice for life but feel like they've got no other choice. And this ministry utilizes the church to help witness to these people and to share the gospel with them and to help them make this choice for life. And we, I I heard all that they're doing and I just said, I want to be part of this. And so we're going to have them come and share what they do, share some of their ministry, share some of what they do. This is not a like letter writing thing. Like if you, if you, if you've been in ministry at all, I, I get messages on my phone. They're like, Pastor, we know you've got a congregation. We want your congregation to come march with us at this. We want your congregation to write letters about this and this and this. We want your congregation to do this and all this stuff politically. And, and just so you know, I don't call any of those people back <laughs> because that's not, I'm not about to come over here and be like, okay, the world can only change through politics because I know that that's an empty well. With the world, I mean, politics does need, does have like a rightful power in our world and can change things, but the world can only change through this transformed people called the kingdom of God. And that's where I put all my eggs in the basket. And so I, I, I wish those people well, but that's just not what I'm called to do. And so I, I'm not pushing that on any of you. But this ministry is different because they care for people over politics. It's not about politics with this ministry. It's about just caring for these women that want to make this decision for life. Um, Somebody in our Bible study on Sunday said, Pastor, don't you, what about people that that lean like really left in the congregation? Are you worried about them? And I said, well, no, because I think people in our congregation care about standing on Scripture. No, no, it doesn't matter which way they lean. I think they care about standing on Scripture. And so, you know, and so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk scripturally about why in the Wesleyan church and in our church, this is what we believe. And so I'm going to talk about that next week. So I just want to tell you right now, um, I want to invite you to be a part of that. It's, I, I think it's just going to be such a positive time. And then secondly, I want to start this morning by praying for our world, our nation, and Israel. Um, yesterday, war had been declared in Israel and it, we were talking about this this morning in, in our staff meeting, and the reality is, is that many of us have seen intifadas, we've seen conflicts happen, but we haven't seen uh, a prime minister declare war. This is a major escalation, a major step. And so what I know about when this sort of thing happens, I start getting all kinds of questions and things like that. And so here's what I want to tell you. The day or the hour of Jesus returning is completely unknown, right? But we should always be prepared for his return. And I also know that the book of Revelation, and and we'll go over this at one point. I I feel like with this, I I probably need to push up my series on the book of Revelation. Anyways, 
The book of Revelation is not a calendar, just so you know. It's not a calendar. It's inappropriate to read the book of Revelation as a calendar for future events. That's just not the way it it works. The book of Revelation is a document that's poured out by Jesus to John that shows us how to live faithfully as disciples in increasingly difficult times. So here's what I know. Our world is unstable right now. Russia and Ukraine have have pulled some stability out of... uh, Russia in Ukraine has pulled stability out of... uh, Uh, of, you know, and and put pressure on alliances. And now in one of the most unstable parts of the world, there's more instability. In addition to that, China is increasingly hostile towards Taiwan and the Philippines and the South China Sea. You know, Hamas has just attacked Israel. And, And so right now is a time where the church goes like, what is going on? Does this mean something? And, and sure it, it might, I don't know. There's always wars, rumors of wars, all this stuff. The day or the hour is unknown. That's what Scripture says, and that's what we have to stick to. But we ought to be praying for peace. We ought to be praying for the senselessness of war to end. And one of the things that I think we lose in our media and in our understanding, especially if you've never been to Israel, which I've been to Israel, is that we lose that there are amazing Palestinian Christians phenomenal Palestinian Christians who are having a, the most, they're probably one of the most difficult, the difficult, most, most difficult people in the world to live would be a Palestinian Christian. Because your own people are against you, the Jews are against you, you've got no place to go. And so there's an incredible Palestinian Christians who are doing the work of Jesus in their neighborhoods. And we have to be prayer, in prayer for them. There's incredible Jewish Christians who are trying to do the work of Jesus. And when I was there um, a number of years ago, we visited a Messianic congregation that constantly had rocks thrown at it on, on, the, on the Sabbath when they met by, by um, Hasidic Jews. They were persecuted there. Christians are, are not necessarily welcome in Israel. And so we ought to be praying for these people because we know that they desire for the reign of the Messiah And we ought to be praying for that. So before we launch into our text today, I just wanted to take a moment and pray over our world, pray over Israel, pray over all the the just our our political leaders, everybody. Because right now, if you're a political leader, I got to imagine it's probably one of the toughest times in the world to make decisions. So we ought to be praying for them too. So would you just join me in a word of prayer before we get into this message? Oh, Father in heaven, How we long for the day when swords are beaten to plowshares. Lord, we long for the day when human evil is blotted out. We long for the day when your peace reigns. God, we long for the day when when this, this brokenness and this evil stops reigning in our world. So, Father, today we pray that our world and its desire, we pray for our world. We pray for its desire to achieve peace through violence. God, we think this is a fool's errand. And so we pray that, that we could achieve some sort of peace here in Israel, in Ukraine, God, and, and in China, and Philippines, and the South China Sea, all these different places that are just sort of coming up as tinderboxes. Lord, we just pray for your peace to reign. We pray for the Christians in Palestine. Lord, those Palestinian Christians who, are, who their own people are against them, and the Jewish people are against them. God, we, we pray for them. And would you use the church in Palestine as a witness for you? 
to reveal who you are. God, we pray for the, the Christians in, in Israel right now, the Messianic Jews. Lord, would you be with them? Would you help reveal all who you are to them? And God, would you walk through with our nation's leaders? Would you walk through with the leaders uh, of Israel and, and leaders around the world, God, and give them wisdom and cooler heads? Lord, we pray that this conflict won't spill over into other nations. And Lord, we pray for a swift end to all this conflict. Lord, we do pray for your people to be at peace and for your people to be safe. Oh, Lord, that the heavens would rend and that you would come down. Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray that in the midst of all these conflicts that you would come. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. So something we ought to continue to pray for is peace in these regions. But as we get back into 1 Corinthians this morning, uh, we've been on this series where we've been digging through it. And as some of you know, uh, who's been with us, Paul talks about this disunity in the church, and he uses the disunity of the first couple chapters to now launch into a few moral issues that the church has been having. And so we're going to look at more moral issues that the church has been having today. And before we get in there, I was thinking about COVID this last week and the shutdowns and how those shutdowns gave us some gifts, some gifts that we didn't want and some gifts that maybe we did want. So the gifts that maybe uh, we wanted were like time with family, savings on gas. Uh, my wife and I grew so much closer together by binging terrible reality TV to like three in the morning. <laughs> I tell you what, those first weeks of the COVID shutdown, we were like, we could do whatever we want. We could, do, we could eat popcorn and watch TV till three in the morning. And we did. And it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. It also did something really good, too, I think, for the church. And even, I, I, I'm never for um, the church not gathering. But I think that in that time that the church didn't gather, people realized the significance of the gathering. They realized, like, I, I had people come back and say, Pastor, I can't do that again. I need my community. I need my church community. I need to pray with people. I, I need to worship God in community. I need this. I can't do that again. And so it heightened that, that um, community that we all have together, that we need to worship together, we really need each other, and that this is so important. It, it, it's, that it's really mandatory that we do this. I mean, this is what the scriptures say. Let's not give up gathering together as some are in the habit of doing We'll just gather together. But then there was, um, a, a, I think, a difficult gift that everyone got during COVID. Another gift that was difficult. I think we all got probably a little too addicted to our phones. We probably all got a little too addicted to the internet, a little bit too addicted to the social media and all the different things that are about social media. And, and, and we got a little bit too into that. And I noticed that during the time of COVID, the new currency in our world became winning. Winning an argument. Winning anything. Because when you were at home all day and working from home and you never changed out of your pajamas all day long, it felt like you actually did something if you won. Right? It feels like, oh man, I actually achieved something. I did something great. I won this argument online and whew, what a day. I'm going to go keep my pajamas on and watch reality TV till three in the morning. 
But I don't know about you, but after, like, there was a point in COVID where I just said, I just have to be off the internet. And I did. I was just like, I deleted some social media apps off my phone. They're back on now. I don't know if that's any healthy. I don't know if that's healthy. But I, I deleted some because it was just madness. People thought about everything. I mean, it was the time of George Floyd. People fought about that. It was the time of, does racism exist or does it not exist? People fought about that. People fought about COVID mandates, COVID vaccines. They fought about Trump. They fought about Biden. They just, they were like, is there anything else we could fight about? Let me, if there's anything, we'll fight about it. That was the internet during those times. And I feel like that's a gift that's carried over. It's a gift that keeps on giving. There was the never-ending comet wars. And I was reminded that this week, even during um, this time, that there are computer bots, actually, that were during this time that were set up in some area in the Balkans and some say it was the Russians or whatever, but there were even computer bots that were, that, that were programmed to make us divide each other even more by fighting. That, that was something that actually happened. And I feel like it reveals something deep about humanity, and that is we just like to win, Right? We like it. It feels good. Like, how many times have you gone home and recounted an argument to your spouse that you won, and both of you were like, yes? Right? You're laughing because it's true. You're laughing because you've done that, because you realize that winning an argument is a new ego booster. Winning an argument is a sign of intelligence and superiority. Winning an argument is a new salvation. It feels good. Winning an argument, you know, oh, it feels so but it can be incredibly damaging in the church. Because if we're here to become more and more and more like Jesus, did Jesus win on the cross? I mean, he eventually resurrected and won. Yes, absolutely. But to all of Jesus' disciples, looking at Jesus on that cross, they're thinking, wow, we're part of a losing battle. We need to be a people who are willing to lay our positions and everything down. So today we're going to look at conflict in the church and how the need to win devastates the church and her witness to the world. Now it's counterintuitive to the world that we live in, but I think that we need to be reminded about what a win looks like in God's kingdom. What if we need to lose in order to win? I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? He lost massively on the cross. At least that's what it looked like. But the only way to win the world was to lose in such a way. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Where we'll look at the first six verses verse, and then we'll keep digging through there. We're going to go to verse 11 today, so open your Bibles. Uh, this is a really interesting chapter in 1 Corinthians. It starts like this. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge in trivial cases? Do you not know, and this is a crazy line, and we're going to unpack this, do you not know that we will judge angels? What? Somebody grab your phone. Okay. How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, if do you ask for a ruling from those who live, or those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. 
Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? Let's pause. Paul's upset. I don't know if any of you caught that, but Paul's upset because there's people in the church that are suing one another. And by the way, this verse doesn't say all lawsuits are wrong. Sometimes in business, there's lawsuits and insurance, there's lawsuits and stuff like that. But it's saying two people that are in the church, and they're upset at each other, so they're suing each other. In other words, they're asking an outside court to, to make a judgment in their case because they can't reconcile. That's what Paul is upset about. And, and he's like, hey, Corinthian church, remember how you're bragging about how wise you are. The first couple of chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians is all about like the wisdom of this world versus the foolishness of the cross. And he's saying, oh, you're all so wise. Oh, you've already got it all figured out. You don't need us anymore. You don't need Paul anymore. You've got this all figured out, don't you? Paul's being like really, he's laying it on really thick to this church. He's like, so you guys got it all worked out. You don't even need me anymore. You're so wise. And how is it that you're so wise and so smart that you can't settle your own disputes? You have to take them somewhere else. How is that, church? But then he says this crazy line, which I'm sure sometimes you read and sometimes in the Bible, there's some lines that you're like, that's so weird. And then you just jump right over it. Then he says this, don't you know what you're called to? Don't you know that you're called to reign? And then he says, don't you know that you get to judge the angels? Wow. Have, any, have you ever seen that before in the Bible? It's like, what? This seems crazy. And I know you're probably thinking like, there was nowhere in my Sunday school where we talked about this, right? No one talked about this when I was a kid. It wasn't up on the flannel graphs. You guys remember flannel graphs in Sunday school? I I'll tell you what, I did not go to Sunday school as a kid. I didn't go to church as a kid. But in the church that I pastored, my wife pulled out a flannel graph and explained to me what that was at one time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like PowerPoint before they used to use that. There's like transitions and slides and all that. Like, it's incredible. If you don't know, it's a big piece of flannel and you put all the pieces up as you're telling the story. That's what flannel graph is. Okay. But what, is, what does this mean when Paul says this? I want to unpack it because it actually means something really important for you and for me about our eternal destiny, about what it means with life with Jesus, like right now and in heaven. What does this mean? So Jesus himself taught that his followers would act as judges in the end times. So we're going to look at a few verses. Matthew 19, verse 28 Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says, like, you're going to be part of this, right? Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received its mark on their forehead or the hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They reigned with Jesus. This is incredible. I'm going to keep going and, and just give you a litany of verses, then come back and talk about it. Daniel 7, it says that judgment will be given to the saints the most high. I didn't put that verse up there. And then one of the, I think the best text on this is 2 Timothy 2.12. Paul says this, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. So the first fill in your blank this morning on, on your notes is this. 
Paul argues that the ultimate destiny of the believer is to reign with Jesus in heaven. What on earth does that mean? It means that you have a high calling. Now, let me put it back this way, in terms this way. He's saying, church, I know your destiny, and it is to win at the end. That's what he's saying. Your destiny is to win at the end. You're going to reign with Jesus, even if it looks like you're losing now, even if life is tough, even if life is broken, even if you've got these crazy Roman officials, you know, beheading people, you are destined to win with Jesus in heaven. You've already won because you're with Jesus. Your job is holiness. That's what your job is. Your job is to grow so much like Jesus that it's natural to step into that reigning position with him in heaven. To grow so much like him that you reign with him. The story of the Bible is about God wanting human partnership. This is what Adam and Eve are about. God created Adam and Eve as human partners to, like in a real democratization of, of the earth to manage the earth. He literally said, like, Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. Here's the earth. I want you to take dominion over it and to rule it. Everything, all that you see after everything was made, he told Adam and Eve, you're to reign over creation. But we know that what sin did is that creation actually reigned over them and they gave up that reign and rule in the garden. And so what Jesus is coming to do is saying, I want you to come with me and live with me so that you could rule and reign again, so that you could take back what was lost in Eden. God wants human partners. And maybe you're here right now and you're hearing that. God wants human partners. He wants to use you as a partner in his divine conspiracy right here and right now to grow his kingdom. And he wants to use you as a human partner. It's incredible. God wants you. And we're over here going, yeah, but I want to win. I want my point. My point is better. I want to win this argument. You offended me. You, uh, you did this. You did that. And, and I want to reign right here, right now, through winning an argument. Paul's like, no, 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 no. You get to reign in heaven. That's what you get. You get to reign in heaven. Because it, isn't that the way winning feels like right here, right now? When you win an argument, it feels like you're reigning. It feels like you're in charge. You feel powerful. And what Paul is saying is like, that is just a temporary deal. Get rid of that. Refuse to win right now because you're winning in heaven in incredible ways, but instead you are fighting with each other and absolutely decimating the witness of the church because of our default tendency to want power. The mother of the sons of Zedebee asked this same question of Jesus. She said, hey, my sons, I want them to rule and reign with you. In, in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 26, it, you know, the, they said, uh, this mother of sons of Zedebee said, hey, I want my sons to sit on your right and your left. And Jesus said to them this, Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers and the Gentiles lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The church in Corinth had forgotten about this. They'd absolutely forgotten about this that we're called not to reign and lord over one another, not to take the power and the good feeling that comes from taking power over one another, but to let our power go, just like Jesus did on the cross. You have to remember that you are designed to have God's power flow through you. 
but we gladly will take the cheap alternative of winning an argument here, of winning a fight, making you feel powerful. So Paul's point was whatever decision the public court reaches, you've already lost because you've taken the junk of the church, you've taken the junk of, uh, uh, the, that's in your life, and you've shown all the people in the outside world how messed up you are. And it's, we could be vulnerable with each other, we could talk about all this stuff, but he's saying is, settle your disputes, or in, in another case, just decide it's okay to be wrong, and, and that way you won't ruin the witness of Jesus to the world. So this is what he's telling the church. So let's keep going. Verses 6 or 7 through 11, these are the rest of the verses we're going to cover today. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. This question has been so powerful in my life lately, and I need to keep asking this question. And even when it comes to settling disputes within the church, I think this is such an important question, and it's in your notes, and you probably already have it all figured out. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? If you're like in the middle of a dispute or a battle with another believer, then maybe the better option for you is to say, I'm just going to be wronged by this. I'm going to forgive and move on. Maybe that's the better option. Why not? What Paul is saying, it's probably better to actually solve it, to actually solve the argument. But instead of like, you know, getting in these big old fights and letting the world, you know, just tarnishing the reputation of Jesus, then instead you should just say, okay, I'm, I'm wronged and I'm fine with that. It's better to be cheated and wronged than to tarnish the reputation of Jesus. This is what Paul's saying. If you take your dispute public and you go to these outside courts, then even when you win, you lose because you've lost the reputation of Jesus. So why not just make it your personal preference that you'd rather be wrong than to lose the reputation of Jesus? I was a young pastor. Um, I, I've told this other story one other time, and that was in my, last, uh, in my small group this last Monday night. I, I told this story one time. And uh, I'm, this is the first time I'm telling it in a big group. I was a young youth pastor, and I really wanted to preach all the time. I love preaching. I love the task of preaching. I love studying preaching. I, I love it. And a friend of mine knew that about me, and he said, I want to give you some better experience. I want you to come up and preach at my church on a, on a Saturday night service. Now, the Saturday night service wasn't huge, but it was bigger than the church I was at, the Saturday night service. The church was over 1,000. It was a large church. So I went up and I preached at this church. I felt like I did a great job. It was so good. And the, some of my friends and some of the kids in my youth group knew that I'd been nervous about this. I'd been praying about this, all this stuff. And I had driven up with somebody else, and in the church parking lot, I left my car. Now, true to youth ministry, I came back, and my car had toilet paper all over it. It had window paint on it. I mean, it was, it like was just a mess. You know, this is pretty standard for youth ministry, by the way. 
I've had my house TP'd more times than I can imagine. Like, the, the, the worst, all right, don't do this to me, any youth kids. When they cut up yarn, and it's like this big and leave it in your lawn, you'll never get that stuff out. And so there was like cut up yarn. I mean, it was a mess. My car was just a giant mess all over. And we didn't get back till late because I was in Southern California. This was up in Bakersfield where I was speaking. So it was a two-hour drive. I got back. It was like 1130 at night. And I'm looking at my car and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to be at church the next morning. I got to clean this up. And so I'm like cleaning it up. And in my hands, I had my brand new digital camera that I've been saving money for. I mean, we don't buy these anymore, right? Because we have phones. But like I had been saving money for this and I had these sunglasses that I just bought. And it was dark, so I didn't need them. So they were in my hands. And I put them on the trunk because I cleared that spot out, put them on the trunk, started cleaning my car. Clean, and it took a good 15, 20 minutes to clean this car. Went and got a trash bag, put all the trash bag in it, went and threw it away, came back, drove home, on the phone with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And I, and I went, oh, no. And she goes, what? I said, I left, cleaned up my car, and I left my, my camera and my sunglasses on the back of my car. And they're brand new. I don't have money to replace them right now and all this stuff. And, and I got walked back there, and of course, of course, they're not there. And I'm just like devastated. And then I get mad. I know who did that to my car. I know who, I'm going to call them right now and tell them I just broke $500 worth of stuff because you guys did this to my car. And I just like went off and told her all the things I'm going to say. You, you know this, right? Am I the only one that does this? Right? No. I told her all the things I'm going to say and all that stuff. And, and, and then she just said something to the effect of like, well, let me ask you a question. What's more valuable to you? The $500 or your friendship? And right then and there, I dropped it. I just needed someone to say that to me. And I never brought it up. It was 20 years ago. I've never told these people, ever. Like, they don't even know, even to this day, I've never told them this happened. We don't have a good laugh about it because I don't ever want them to feel guilty, like they owe me anything. I don't ever want anything to come between our relationship. But my, my wife was telling me at this point, why don't you just be wronged and move on? And, I, and that was so revolutionary for me to do that. Here I had just preached this sermon. I cannot tell you a word I said in that sermon, but I remember my wife's words like it was yesterday. Because it was like literally the word of God speaking into my life. Just be wronged and moved on. And I did, and we had a good laugh about the car and how well they decorated it and all that different stuff, and I just moved on. That's it. It's okay to decide that you could be wronged and cheated and broken or whatever. And of course, it's my fault the stupid sunglasses were back there. That's my fault anyways. It wouldn't have been back there if I didn't clean up, but it's, it's still my fault. So my point is, when disputes arise, what's our default position? It's better to have reconciliation, for sure. It's better to confess, to reconcile, to be made right with each other. But if that's not going to happen, then it's better just to say, well, I'd rather just be wronged and we'll call it a day. I say this, I bring this all up to you because we are rapidly going down a path to 2024. What happens in 2024? The world goes crazy again. 
It's an election year. We as Christians need to be deliberate about avoiding the pitfalls of political participation. Now, we shouldn't plan to lose, right? Christians should keep in mind that we are not engaging in political battles to win, but to serve one another and to love one another and to help people. That's why we engage in it, not necessarily to win. And don't don't forget this election season, this is in your notes, if you've given your allegiance and trust over to Jesus, then we've already had the ultimate victory. Don't forget you've already won. The victory is our salvation in the kingdom of God. The victory is a life with God in eternity, in heaven. That's our victory. Nothing in this world is comparable to your inheritance in the kingdom of God. There is no political ideology that can replace the kingdom of God, nor does the kingdom of God rely on your side winning. Maybe some of you need to write that down. The kingdom of God does not rely on your side winning. It doesn't. Jesus is not in heaven going, oh my gosh, if Trump doesn't win this, we're in trouble. Jesus is not in heaven going, oh my goodness, if Biden doesn't win this, we're we're just, the church is in trouble. He's not up there panicking, you guys. Like you laugh because it is ridiculous that he would do that. The kingdom of God doesn't rely on one side or the other winning. So I bring this whole sermon up to remind us that as we walk down this road together to 2024, that we participate in this system and in this world to love other people and to help other people come to know Jesus. And so, like, that's our main goal. That's what we want as Christians. That's what the Bible wants us to have is this incredible witness to the world. It it, it doesn't, you know, the Bible isn't like, oh, man, if you don't win your battle, we're in trouble. That's, That's not it. Our participation in politics should be to faithfully represent Jesus in the public square. That's what it should be. It doesn't mean that we ignore our own interests, but it also doesn't mean that we are consumed and misled by other interests either. When we are in a public conflict, and this is, I think, maybe your last feeling, we must demonstrate that a faithful witness to Jesus is more important than winning a political battle. Some of you need to to just write November 2024 on these notes and bring these back up again, right? Right? that we must demonstrate that a faithful witness to Jesus is more important than winning a political battle. Let me take that deeper. That means if my side has to do something corrupt or illegal to win, then it's better for me to lose than to lose my faithful witness. And that's true in work. That's true in anything. That's true in your taxes. Like, that's true in anything. It's better to lose a political battle than to sacrifice your virtue for what is politically expedient. Let me say that again. It is better to lose a political battle than to sacrifice your virtue for what is politically expedient. See, what Paul is saying about fighting between believers, whether it's a lawsuit, a political, anything like that, is that our ultimate preference should be that we would be wronged or to lose before our witness sustains any damage at all. What's most important is our witness for Christ. This is what Paul is saying. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about maturity in Christ. How mature is it to decide to lose the fight because the witness for Jesus matters even more? I mean, I like to argue. I do. I like a good debate. I just do. 
And I, I, and I like to win. I, I've got that in me. I, I like it. I, I love that. I, you know, and so this, for me, maybe some of you are like, this is just, just put a mirror up here and be preaching to me this morning. I don't know. But my point, what Paul is saying is that it's more mature of you to decide that your witness is more important than winning. So here's how this goes. You've been wronged, and you just know that with an email, you could tear apart the person that wronged you. Or with a post online, you could just tear them apart, right? On Facebook, Facebook maybe somebody makes this obviously stupid comment, right? It's obviously stupid. Everyone agrees with you. It's a stupid comment. And with a couple clicks and a couple keystrokes, you could just tear them apart, right? The idea is that you just let that go, right? Winning or witness, what's more important? What would it look like for you to forfeit the right to retaliate? What would it look like in your life to find joy in being wronged and cheated? Oh, this is maturity. Maturity is realizing that if you are in Christ, you've won already. Maturity is realizing that God will use you one day to judge the world. So what on earth are you doing here, you know, when these disputes? Maturity is realizing that there are times in our life when it's better to be wrong than to win. So church, today, I'm sending you to lose battles. I am. To forfeit your great argument. I'm sending you to forfeit your argument. I'm sending you to to refuse to engage in that Facebook fight. I'm I'm sending you to not have the last word. Ooh, try practicing that. The discipline of not having the last word. Sending you to prefer to be wronged and cheated because if you're in Christ, you have the ultimate victory. I want to read this last list that Paul gave us. Because this is what Paul is saying. You have to realize you're redeemed people. You have to realize that you're a people who've been washed, sanctified, and justified. He he says this, do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? By the way, the wrongdoers are the ones that the people are going out and getting judged by. That's what the point Paul is making. You're going out to pagan courts, the wrongdoers. You're going out to them. And he's saying, don't you realize that they're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do, you, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanders, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then don't miss the most powerful point. He says, and that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Maybe you're here today and, and you just needed to hear that. And, and maybe you're like, God, I need, maybe you're here today and you're kind of searching for what is true. I want to encourage you. Jesus wants to wash your sin away. He, he, wants to, uh, to, he wants to wash you, to sanctify you, to make you holy and, and then justified. What does justified mean? In a court of law, it's no... It's no coincidence he's using the term justified because in a court, justified means declaring not guilty, right? You were this list, but now this is what Jesus has done. He's, he's washed you by his blood on the cross. Through losing on the cross, he's washed you. He's made you holy by making you new, and now he's declared you not guilty before God. So maybe you're here today and there's a few different responses for you. There's a lot of different responses. I want to invite the band to come, but maybe one of the responses is like, okay, I need to lay my own need to win down. And I need to take up the cross and follow Jesus in this area of my life. I'm just going to lay it down, be mature, 
and not have to fight about everything. Okay, maybe that's you. I want to encourage you to do that. That's easier said than done. I want to encourage you to keep surrendering that part of your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you read that list and you're like, yep, I'm on that list. I'm a swindler. I'm this, I'm that. I'm I'm on that list. Jesus died for you on the cross. He took the loss so that you could win. He had his blood shed so that your sins can be made new, so you could be made all new again. And he wants to do these three things in your life to, to wash you, to sanctify you, to make you holy, not defined by your sin anymore. Do you know that? That God doesn't want you to define yourself by your past life, but by who he is in you. That's what he wants. And then he wants to declare you not guilty. So maybe you're here and you need to lay down your, your battles. That's one response. And maybe you're here and you just simply need to say, Jesus, wash me, change me, sanctify me, declare me not guilty. Here's my sin. Here's my stuff. I put my faith and my trust in you. Maybe that's your response here today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you this morning. We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the church and his strong words to tell them to be more mature. God, we all need that sometimes. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do an incredible work in the lives of your people today. God, maybe as people who simply need to say, God, I've had this need to be right too much. I need to lay that down. I need to lay that at your cross. I need to lay that at your feet. I need to lay that on the altar. And, and maybe there's other folks here who are like, Lord, I'm, gosh, I'm stuck in all these battles. I'm stuck in all these fights. But the reality is, is I just need, I, I'm part of that list. I'm a sinful, I'm a wrongdoer. I'm a sinful person. And I need you to wash me, Lord, to make me holy, to sanctify me, and to declare me not guilty because I am a guilty person. And I need you to do this in my life. The Bible says that that Jesus is faithful to do these things. So Lord, we put our trust in you. We put our confidence in you. And we ask you to do an incredible work in the lives of your people. Even in this next moment, God, we believe you're making holy moments right now. In the name of Jesus, all God's people. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.